look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popowich. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, Faisal. How about you? Good. I heard you're ready. We both planned the same vacation. Oh, yeah. That's right. Ironically. Mm-hmm. You're coming back and I'm leaving. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're probably just going to swap uh, we'll swap the, uh, the same facility. We can high five on the highway. Yep. Yeah, Jasper. Jasper. Yeah. Have you ever thought, pre-COVID, <laughs> that your vacation for the summer will be in Alberta? <laughs> No, no, no. I, I honestly say no, but I'm not unhappy about it. It's been years since I've been to Jasper, um, and I am looking forward to going back. My kids, of course, have never been there. My wife's from Toronto. She's never been there. So it's a heck of a good opportunity. But but the answer to your question, no, it wouldn't have been first on my we list. We take this province yeah. for granted yeah. sometimes, and now that we kind of need to stay in the province or stay close by, we're doing that, and that's going to be a, an interesting piece. I find that this whole COVID issue... We've been working from home. I have been coming into the office now and then um, to get stuff done. But uh, I've forgotten now, Dave. I've forgotten. Do I work at from home or do I live at work? <laughs> well, it's uh, it's a fuzzy line. We were talking <laughs> about this last night, weren't we? Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a fuzzy line. Um, and there's lots of opinions. I've talked to a lot of people about, about the flexibility of, of working at home versus the implications of that, right? You're working all the time. It's interesting, right? There's um there's a change coming. It's in it it's it's happening now. Yeah. Now we just have to figure out what the right balance is and go from there. Go from there. We've got a great show today, my friend. Mm-hmm. We've got uh you know you hear about the relationship between isolation and health problems. Yeah. Um, we've talked about this in the past on our show, but I think we don't have some concrete numbers. We now do. Stats Canada yep. has done some research, yep. so we're going to share that with you. Um, as you know, I look at all the numbers of the markets around the world every single month. I put it on a spreadsheet. I get the data and so forth. And I go out as far as 20 years sometimes yep. just to see how the trend yep. has been going. Let me give you some interesting information. The Toronto Stock Exchange, Toronto Stock Market, over the past 20 years to the end of May. Okay. Don't count fees. Don't count tax. Don't Just, just the return itself. But total return. You're total doing. return. Yeah. Five point, 5.2%. I'm rounding up here. Compounded average rate of return. Yep. Okay. So if you invested in the Toronto stock market 20 years ago, went to the moon for 20 years and came back, you would have averaged 5.2%. Mm-hmm. No fees, no taxes. Right. If you put your same money in the S&P 500, the largest 500 companies in the United States, in Canadian dollars, mm-hmm. 5.5%. Mm-hmm. If you put it in bonds, 5.6%. Hmm. Now, we're talking 20 years. We're talking the tech wreck. Yep. Everybody remembers Nortel. Yep. We're talking September the 11th. Yep. We're talking the biggest financial crises in modern history with 2008. Yep. How many oil recessions did we have in Alberta? Yep. And now with the, the pandemic. Right. All that, and you're averaging 5%-ish. Right. That's probably a surprise to most people. That's a big surprise right. to, uh, and that's just the market. So when they say, you know, you got to take into account taxes and all that stuff, right. how do you expect over the next 10, 20 years to make similar rates of return when everybody has a, a strategy based upon 
living off of cash flow or some sort of investment that requires more than 5%. Well, let's ask that even slightly differently. Um, I bet that number is surprising to people, yeah. right? Because we talk to a lot of people and it is not uncommon to hear high single, low double di- digit rates of return Correct. expectations. Correct. Right? And what they're being presented and why they come up with that number is because in the last five years, you might have had a higher rate of return. You know, you, you, you could have had, and, and I'll give you the example, the S&P 500 over the last five years mm-hmm. has done about 12%. Right. So just get me 12% now. Right. Um, no. It's going to be very challenging going forward. To you make, need, well, you need to be nimble, you, right? You, you cannot just rely on the markets. Right. And, and we've learned this over time. We've been doing this for a very long time. I can tell you, starting this in, in this industry and doing what I'm doing since 1997, I've learned a lot. Number one, there's a lot of smart people out there. Mm-hmm. And I follow a lot of smart people. And those smart people are basically saying, for the past 15 years, do not depend on the stock market alone. Right. So where are they going? And we've been talking about investing in different ways. One is called an alternative investment. And we've talked about this. Yeah. This is part of our five-pillar investment strategy approach. Been talking about it for a long time. One group that has done a very good job at diversifying their portfolio, making solid returns for their nation, is the Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. You're going to get me riled up now. Oh, really? Mm Mm-hmm. Because they've done a very good job. And, And, yeah, we have some angst against them in Alberta because, you know, they they sold some of the shares of companies in Alberta. Well, they're just doing their job. I'm not actually upset with them. Okay, who are you upset with then? Canadians. What? Mm-hmm. Okay, you got to share this with me. Yeah. So uh, this week, uh, well, not, that's not such true. We'll take you back a couple of months. We were talking about the fact that the uh, Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund, which is the largest wealth fund, sovereign wealth fund in the world, trillion dollars. Yeah. Okay. Built on oil and gas, right? Um, they decided they want to di- divest of a number of companies, but four Canadian oil and gas companies that oil sand um, assets, and they were concerned about emissions. Okay, that's fine. That's an investment decision that they make. Not upset about that. We're reporting this week that uh, Norway as a government decided that they're going to cut taxes to the oil and gas industry to spur investment and development, and they're going to open up 125 more offshore parcels for drilling, and they're going to increase, their target is to increase uh, production uh, by 43% in their country. Okay, so let's kind of set the tone here a bit because the Sovereign Wealth Fund, let me use the Canadian Pension Plan. How the Canadian Pension Plan invests has nothing to do with Canada. Correct, not upset with them. They're s- totally separate yep. from the the government of Canada. Yep. So is the Sovereign Wealth Fund in Norway. Correct, no issue. But I am guessing, you jump in here, the reason why you're upset is because Norway has realized that they need to invest in oil. Well, let me continue. Norway actually would be considered one of the leading green societies, I would think. Yes. Close to 100% of their electricity comes from hydro. They've got the most, on a per capita basis, electric cars. So they've made a commitment to, to go down this path. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Here's where I'm upset. It appears that there is a model out there that's working and proven that says we can accomplish our environmental goals while still recognizing that the world will need oil and gas for a while. Mm-hmm. Okay? I'm not an environmental expert, so somebody's going to be upset with me for holding this point, no doubt. I have no idea what the 
greenhouse gas emission or environmental footprint is on drilling an offshore on the Norwegian continental shelf, deep water, versus what the oil sands is. I'm sure somebody knows that. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is Canada leads in many respects in environmental technology with respect to energy. Energy. Absolutely. Right. So this is why I say I'm not upset with Norway. I think they've got it figured out. I'm not so, upset with the, with the So you said fund. Canadians. Yeah. Who are you really upset with? Well, is, it, is it you and me as Canadians that you're upset with? Yeah. Our governments are only a reflection. Our policies are a reflection of Canadians. I'm putting it on Canadians. I'm putting it on the industry. Okay. Our industry has done a subpar job at, and our industry, meaning oil and gas industry in Alberta, has done a subpar job at explaining the benefits of why Alberta is the place to be to get your oil from. Fair, fair. They can do more. And yes, we can say government has done something or nothing. But at the end of the day, I have seen very little. And I've traveled to other destinations, and I've seen what's being advertised there, what's being promoted there. I see more come to Quebec than I see... Our oil and gas sector is one of the cleanest, if not the cleanest, in the world. All right. Fair. So we have a PR problem here. Right. And we've had a PR problem Well, we have for a, a PR very problem time. in our country as well as outside of our Correct. country. Correct. And so if we can educate first Canadians right. and then everybody around the world, if you've got your own base, your own Canadian group behind you, it's a lot easier to put policy through. For sure. But listen, Nor Norway's discovered something here, that the, they have a resource that's valuable that the rest of the world wants and needs, period, full stop. Okay? Now, they're making a decision to take advantage of that in as responsible a way as they can, given whatever the, you know, the, the, the drilling activity, the nature of that natural resource is. Yeah. Right? And I think as Canadians, we have an obligation to do that same thing. Yeah. So I'm, uh, we can put, there's lots of pointing of fingers that can go on. I'm putting on Canadians. We gotta, we gotta do a better job of taking advantage of the assets that we have. Amen. Okay. Enough said about that. Uh, we have to put all this together, uh, taking advantage of the assets thing. people have to fund the lifestyle that yep. they want. It's right? all about your assets and how you use it through retirement. We're going to talk about our solution to bulletproof your retirement on Tuesday, August the 25th. That's 7 o'clock. It's a one-hour live online event. And to register, you need to go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com. Stay tuned after the break. We're going to talk a little bit about the impact of isolation on our health. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Um, we talk often a, a, about... Uh, seniors and the effect of social isolationism, something mm -hmm. I've experienced personally through my mom to some extent. Uh, my father. Your father as yep. well. That's right. So something we know a little bit about. Uh, Statistics Canada, though, has uh, crunched some numbers to take a look at the impact, the, the, the physical impact of social isolationism. And primarily attached to COVID. Yeah. You know, it, it, this has been a really hard time for many Canadians. Well. Absolutely. We were talking about this last night. Yep. And how many people, and we, we were lucky enough to have a conversation with other professionals in other parts of the finance world, and they were saying that their clients are losing it, yep. quote unquote. Yep. And there's a, a large demographic of, of people who are isolated by not choice of their own. And it is showing some impact. And when you have, we'll call them seniors, mm -hmm. the, their, their social uh, isolation has caused some big impacts where 
Stats Canada is starting to record this information. Well, and I want to make this I want to make this a human experience for a moment because I've had an experience recently that I want to share prior to inviting our guest in, to talk about this okay. is uh, for the first time in probably three three and a half months, uh, my mom is in a long term care facility, and the care facility with the restrictions removing um, put in place a visitation program. Mm-hmm. Now they've done a very good job of isolating. There was no case of COVID. Everybody was safe. Fantastic. So I get to go uh, to see my mom, and they had set it up in a certain way, so there was no risk of interaction and so on and so forth. But and it was a half an hour visit. At the end of that half an hour visit, um, and my mom suffers dementia, as you know, and most of our listeners know, we had to say goodbye. And she, you know, she looked at me and said, "Can you take me with you?" Mm. And it was heartbreaking. Yeah. Right. So you could see that experience that she had had for the last three and a half months. Anyways, before I start to cry, let's talk about, uh, <laughs> you know, let, let's talk about this on a broader scale because yeah. um, it's not just my mom that's going through it. And, and it's not just COVID, although it's really accentuating the problem given the, given the um, restrictions that have been put in place. But- so let's get some of the effects of what's happened in this. We've got Pamela ramage and Senior Analyst with Statistics Canada. Pamela, thank you for joining us on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me, Dave Basil. Well, let's let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the effects of isolation on seniors. Um, you guys, uh, StatsCan, Statistics Canada has done some analysis. Why don't you share with us at a high level what you're finding? Yes. Well, back in 2008, 2009, we did a community Canadian Community Health Survey, and some of your listeners certainly may have contributed to that. And from that, we were able to establish um, people who we classified as being socially isolated. And then for those who gave their permission, we linked forward to our vital statistics death data. And what we found, uh, we measured social isolation in two different ways. But regardless, social isolation has an impact on health status, and it can have a direct impact on survival time, on Mm -hmm. mortality. So those are two (laughs) very big Big issues. So, so let me kind of go through the process you went through. And please, Pamela, let, jump in and say if I'm if I'm if I'm not uh, showing or describing the process properly. You surveyed a bunch of people, 2008, 2009. You look forward mm-hmm. and you look at those participants and uh, and where they are in their life. The ones who who in the survey said that they have a high level of social social isolation. There was a, a quite a large percentage of those individuals who passed away. Yes, so the we measured social isolation in two different ways because while we intuitively have a sense of what it means, it's a bit difficult to measure on a survey. So we looked at it two ways. We looked at it uh, objectively, and that's just measuring. Um, people were asked how often they participated in community events, educational events, uh, sporting, any kind of event, and we tallied them up. And people who participated less than weekly we considered that to be socially isolated. And then we also look subjectively, and we, we've, uh, through interview questions, people who express some loneliness and a weak sense of belonging to their community, they were also classified as social isolation. And there was some overlap between those two groups, but regardless how we measured it, uh, the people who were socially isolated were more likely to die between the survey in 2008 and nine and 2017 than those who weren't socially isolated. And we have to remember this is this is the pre-COVID um, right. situation where um, social isolation perhaps wasn't at such a severe level as it might be uh, experienced in the present, but was really looking at the, the long-term impact. 
and certainly transitions. COVID could be uh, looked at as a transition in the same way that retirement could be or the loss of a spouse. Those transitions can lead to social isolation. When it becomes long-term and chronic, it, it certainly appears to, to affect health and also affect um, your survival. Was there a difference between men and women after the survey and, and your your findings from that? The um, With our objective measure of social isolation, which was low participation, almost uh, one in four seniors, uh, and this is the household population. This doesn't cover uh, people who are living in long-term care, but 24%, over a million seniors, were considered low uh, participators. And men and women, there was no difference. Uh, for subjective isolation, it was about 12%, but women were higher than men, 15% of women and 10% of men. And so that was over half a million people. Um, and what we found is with the uh, low participation, there was a direct impact on mortality, as well as social isolation affects your health, which then in turn affects your mortality. Mm -hmm. So there was a bit of a direct path and an indirect path, if you like. That was um, the question I was going to ask, Pamela. Is it is it health problems e uh, lead to isolation or isolation leads to health problems? It's kind of like a chicken and the egg conversation we're going to have. Here. Yeah, well, that is, that is an absolute excellent point um, because it, it can and likely does go both ways in that... Um, if you're isolated, it tends to impact your health. And then if you have poor health, then it's harder to participate. I think what this demonstrates is that um, we think of good nutrition and physical activity. These are all behaviors that help enhance our health. And we have to actively work towards um, social engagement and participation within our own limits. Um, so certainly as health declines, the, there may be more limits on your ability to participate, but it's still important for individuals and for society to allow people to, to engage, both for quality of life and, and for their overall health. Pamela, I think the it's interesting, often we have this conversation with medical professionals and whatnot, but to have the statistics behind this show, what the impact of that is, uh, is I think very valuable in terms of heightening awareness and, um, and the impact it has on health and quality of life. So I want to thank you for your time today and sharing with us the, the results um, of that study. Good. Thank you very much for having me. We've been joined by Pamela Ramage-Morin, who's a senior analyst at Statistics Canada. Uh, the health bucket is a passion of yours. We've been talking a lot about it um, over the past couple of weeks yeah. um, for all kinds of reasons. Uh, it's one of the aspects of a good quality retirement. And you've nailed it when you said quality of care yeah. and and the quality of your lifestyle yeah. through retirement. Yeah. And many people realize where they, when, when they're in retirement that it's not going to be the same at the beginning of retirement right. uh, as it will be at the end of retirement. Things are going right. to change. Yeah. And most of the, most times it's medically that things are going to change. Your yeah. health is going to change. Very few people won't be impacted by a medical change in their life. Yeah. Right? And, and so if there is a health change for you, the number one thing that comes after you realize the change is how am I going to pay for this? That's right. How am I going to have that quality of care? Because I know I got to pay out of pocket. Right. So how do you build a strategy to have income, this health care, taxes, right. all the stuff that's going on, yep. you need a strategy. 
And we're going to talk about how to pull that strategy together, Faisal, on Tuesday, August the 25th, 7 o'clock, live online. And you go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. That's morethanmoneyradio.com. Stick around after the break. We'll be hearing about what you're required to do if a loved one names you as their executor and you don't want to do it. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. You had an interesting call uh, not too long ago. That's right. From a client, and it was a very sad situation, but that wasn't the real interesting part of the call. The interesting part of the call is that she was named as a co-executor on an estate. And and so to give you a bit of a background of the family dynamics, mm-hmm. Dave, um, uh, the client of ours uh, was saying that she doesn't really... Uh, she doesn't really get along or that close to her family members. Right, her family members are in different parts of the province. Um, the the brother who passed away is uh, in Calgary, mm-hmm. and she was surprised to hear that she was a co-executive. Right, she didn't know. Yeah. So she and then when when the information was provided to her with the with a copy of the will, the first thing she did is she called us. Mm-hmm. And she said, um, "I don't, I don't, I don't want to do this. Yeah, I don't want to be an executor. There, there, there's so much stuff going on in the family that if I get involved as the executor, more problems will happen in the right. family. It's better that I walk away. Right, Faisal, what do I do? Yeah, how do I get out of this? Well, after I, after I kind of cried a bit in the, in, on the phone, I'm like, I don't know yet. <laughs> let, let, let's get you involved and connected with some people. Right. And one of them is our guest today, Catherine Zhang, partner." Uh, for Wills and Estates at Walsh LLP. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thanks, Faisal. Thanks for having me. So, so Catherine, this is the question that many people will have. Some are surprised that they're an executor. They were not given the heads up. They may have forgotten that they were the executor. And they're like, um, I don't want to do this. Let's start off with what's the responsibilities of an executor, and then we can talk about if you don't want to do this, what do you do? Sure. Um, so the role of an executor, um, otherwise known as a personal representative in Alberta, that's our um, regular legal term that we use here, they're required to follow the instructions, basically, of um, the testator, so the person who drafted the will or left the will, they're required to abide by the instructions in that document. Um the baseline responsibilities include figuring out what all of the assets and liabilities were um, that the deceased owned as at date of death and ultimately um, calling all of those in, satisfying those liabilities, which include CRA. Uh, and then once everything is um, squared away with all of the creditors, um, following a distribution schedule as per the will. Um, so. That's the baseline responsibility they've got. Okay, well, let's talk about this. Um, I don't want that responsibility. In this, cl- mm-hmm. in this case, this client did not want that responsibility, mm-hmm. but is named as an executor. Mm-hmm. So um, why don't you walk us through a little bit about what has to be done in order to extricate yourself from that? And if you don't extricate yourself immediately, mm-hmm. uh, and, you, and you accept that role but want to get out later, What's the Mm -hmm. difference between those two? There's um, a really big difference. 
generally what we tell clients when they call us um, is if you're not sure whether or not you're prepared to take on this role, and it is a really big responsibility, um, not only uh, in terms of, you know, filling shoes of uh, figuring out what you're legally responsible for doing and, and following the letter of the law and also the will, uh, but you've also got a responsibility to the beneficiary. So it is a really big task that um, people are often stepping into. If you're not sure whether you're up for the task, we recommend baseline don't do anything um, or don't hold yourself out to be the personal representative or executor with any anybody. So any of the providers, any of the financial institutions that might be looking to you um, or, you know, dealing with any of the house assets, do not indicate to anybody that, yes, I am the executor and here are my roles and responsibilities or I'm just looking for information uh, because what you do is um, you've inadvertently, if you didn't mean to do it, stepped into the role of executor and it's a lot harder to extricate yourself um, once you have represented uh, that you are that named person. So if you are named in a will and you think, you know what, I don't know that I'm up for the job, or maybe you already know that you're not up for the job, uh, the statement would be, I'm not prepared to act, even though I'm um, named as executor under the will. And I think um, with that, probably having some discussions with the beneficiaries as to, well, who might they want to appoint or who would be next in line. So sometimes there's an alternate executor that's named in the will. Um, and if that alternate executor doesn't also want to act, then the legislation kicks in and there's a formula for figuring out who has priority to apply. Um, and ultimately, for that person who is going to apply and seek to have the authority of an executor, they're going to come back to the original named person um, and ask for a formal renunciation because that's required from the court. Um, in order for the court to give somebody else the authority, they need to um, have confirmation that the named, the other named people or the people who are next in line with priority to apply have all stepped down and agree that they're they're either not going to act or they're waiving their right to act. Catherine, we have less than two minutes left before we have to go to commercial break, but uh, yeah. what if you're going through the process, you are the executor, okay, I'm going to do my job, mm -hmm. and then somewhere along the process you're like, well, either for reasons for your personal matters or because you just can't do the job itself, mm -hmm. you decide to step away. What's, what's different about that? It's a bit more of a lengthy process. Um, at that point, you have held yourself out to be an executor, and so at that point, you are going to need um, court approval to step down, uh, and there is going to be some work involved in um, bringing everybody up to speed uh, at to show what you've done on the estate and also getting court approval and typically that also requires beneficiary approval and consent um, to uh, basically sign off on all of the steps you've taken so that when you step down and somebody else steps into that role, everybody can be satisfied and comfortable with that transition process and with the liability that's involved. Okay, so it's not just as easy as waking up and saying, no, I don't want to do it. 
No, unfortunately not. And that's it's good for the beneficiaries because that just means that um, at all times somebody is being held accountable uh, for taking over and having authority of somebody else's assets. So being an executor is a big responsibility, requires you to have some sort of skill set to do the activities, settling the, the liabilities, which includes CRA and so forth, and also distributing the the residue or the assets after the liabilities to the beneficiaries, which means you have to be comfortable doing that process as well. There's there's two things though, Faisal, right, that we gotta you gotta keep in mind. So in this particular case, there was the person who um, identified the co executor without telling them, right? So I think people when they're doing their will need to think about selecting a person and you gotta have a conversation about whether they're the right person and will accept it. Yep. Then there's the person on the other end of the line Right, who's accepting this responsibility, and Catherine's done a pretty good job of raising awareness that this isn't a, um, a uh, what I was going to say, a, a privilege. It's not a uh, a thank you. It is a massive responsibility, That's and right. so both parties need to work together in order to ensure that that you know that that legacy process, that transition, yeah. is efficient, and effective, and it's not caught up in the courts and all those kinds of things, right? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Catherine, I want to thank you very much uh, for joining us, shining, uh, shining a little light on that uh, topic. I think it's something that gets overlooked too often, so I appreciate all of your input. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. We've been joined by Catherine Zhang. She's a partner at Will, or for Wills and Estates um, at Walsh LLP. Um, my friend, we're going to be talking about like this whole legacy piece is part of the lifestyle, the lifestyle plan, right? When you think about retirement, cleaning up, making sure the gift that you're giving is the way you want to give it. Correct. It's part of the conversation we'll be having at our upcoming seminar. Yeah, that'll be on Tuesday, August 25th, 7 p.m., live online. You need to register. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. All right, stick around after the break because I want to talk to you about retirement topics that we're not talking to our clients about. This is 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Faisal, I, uh, I sort of teased in the last segment. Uh, I thought what was interesting this week, and it was a choppy week with holidays and so on and so forth. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. But I thought what was interesting is not what we talked about with clients. It's what we didn't talk about with clients. And let's think about the last two weeks, right? Okay. Um, the second wave of the coronavirus fear is going up. We're seeing numbers every day come out of the United States. There's new records being set for new viruses going in the wrong direction. Yeah. The press is that's all we're reading. You've had conversations with people that are nervous about it and so much data coming out of the states that people are worried about here in Canada. Yeah. So and it's much. affecting people. Right? It's yeah. affecting people in terms of what they're thinking about, but what we're not talking about with people is the fear that they have about their retirement. I haven't had one conversation in the last two weeks about where am I going to get my income from? I haven't, you know, it, we're just talking esoterically about the data coming out of the, what's happening in the United States. You, you know what's interesting <laughs> I, I've had is that a lot of, the, not a lot, but a few of the people that I talked to this week are not concerned about their retirement, right. but they're concerned about their, their adult children. Well, that's been an interesting one for a bit of time, given what Alberta's going through. Let's talk about it's that. It's been an Alberta thing. Now right. it's a COVID thing, recession, yeah. Yeah. so on and so forth, right? Pick your politician that you want to talk about and... My kids' future is all a mess. And what some of the research that came out that I was I was reading this week was that millennials have had a tough go. Um, millennials are from 1980 to 1994. I'm, I'm going off memory here. So um, 
if you were born in that age and you are now you're getting ready to go into the workforce you've been one of the unluckiest individuals in history because they've gone through three different recessions mm -hmm. and i'm including the 2020 coronavirus mm -hmm. as a recession and so mill millennials have had it tough mm -hmm. and so others have said no 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 during those three recessions keep in mind the boomers have lost a lot of wealth deteriorated capital made crazy amount of money before and lost a lot of it because of the last three recessions some cases yeah many cases mm -hmm. the average boomer doesn't even have five hundred thousand dollars in savings to retire mm -hmm. this is the average let's not talk median because that's even lower mm -hmm. so the boomers have had it tougher not question sure the millennials is, agree with you. Who's had it tougher? Right. That's the question. What are your thoughts? Um, listen, I think that uh, I side with the, uh, the boomers on this debate. Mm -hmm. okay? And I'm not suggesting that millennials haven't had a goofy set of Oh, you're playing Switzerland now? You know, no, no, I just think that... Um, <laughs> listen, I, I fear for the boomers because of, uh, of time. So... There are mistakes or problems that you can't recover from when you're older. Yep. Uh, if you're not working in, you know, given circumstances of a an average uh, boomer. Um, not to diminish the experience that young people might have, but you've got lots of options. You've got time. You've got mobility. There's lots of things you, you can do. Same thing you can <clears throat> say with a boomer. No, agreed. You just don't have. You just don't have the potential oppor the work opportunities. So hang on, hang on, hang on. The potential work opportunities. Yep. So here's the argument that was in part of the research. Yep. Many boomers who had to had to stay at work yes. were very upset because they couldn't get the same job. Right. Or they couldn't get a job of equal pay. Right. And so now they have to change things. Yep. And the biggest problem in some of this research was that change is harder for a boomer than it is for a millennial. Okay. And so... Every argument that you can make for a millennial, you can make for a boomer. Sure. You can relocate. You can get a side gig or a side hustle, now some of these people call it. You can supplement your income in other ways. You can do so many things, like there, a millennial. There's lots you can do. I, I agree. I'm not saying be a so, victim. So why is it harder for a boomer? When you say time... A lot of people will say, well, freedom 65, let's call it. It was 55, now right. it's 65. Why not 75? Why not 80? Why do you have to, quote, unquote, retire? These are the arguments that are coming out in the, in the research. Stanford sure. and so forth came up with these points. Sure. And it's a good debate. It, no, it is. It, it, it's, and they're all fair points. And I, I, like I said, I don't want anybody to be a victim. There's always things you can do regardless of age. But there, is, there, is, there are potential problems that you can't recover from depending on decisions you've made later in life versus earlier time time is an important time is your friend time is an important element in that in that conversation so don't be victimized by it and it might mean there's a change no matter boomer or millennial yeah. right you might have to make a change from what you what you previous thought yeah um and all of that's valid all of that's the same but time's important that so that's why that the, the, my whole the, the the distinction between those two groups is is i would feel more vulnerable at 70 Okay. Yeah. Then I would at thirty, if 
there was a problem that I faced that materially impacted my financial ability to live the life I wanted or feed the family or whatever word you want, or whatever phrase you want to use. What I find interesting <clears throat> is that when we talk to a lot of our older clients, yeah. one of their concerns yeah. on their list is their children. Right. They're, they're adult. Always. Income yeah. earning, yeah. independent children. That's yes. what they're worried about. Yep. Yeah. They're parents. I get it. I'm a parent. When we talk to the next generation below that, right. what are some of your concerns? It's not their parents. Nope. Nowhere are they concerned about the healthcare system, the financial capacity to pay for that, that the burden may get shifted onto them or they may choose to be part of that program. Right. But it's not even a conversation, not even the top top 10 no. concerns. Nope. So mom and dad are worried about kids. Kids are not worried about mom and dad. Right. Interesting. Yeah. And listen, in many cases, and we've had this conversation uh, time and time again over the years, Faisal, about, uh, you know, should, what, what is your responsibility or obligation or commitment to kids, you know, as a senior person not working anymore? And what effect can that have on your retirement lifestyle, right? We've talked about that a lot. Although, um, interestingly, more often than not, the, the kids are independent. Mom and dad continue to worry about them because they're parents, right? Or want to help and make some decision. But I tell you, I hear lots of kids saying, mom and dad, you just spend it all. Go ahead. I'm fine. Yeah. Right. Go do your thing. Yeah. But the flip isn't there. <clears throat> no, that's right. And I, I find it very interesting that when you're doing planning for your future, mm -hmm. like retirement, one of the pieces will should be, have you had a discussion about what your parents' financial viability? And I'm going to pick on you, Dave. Mm -hmm. Your mother is in a long-term care facility. Yep. There is an outflow of cash. Yep. Are you paying any of it? Nope. Is your brother paying any of it? Nope. It was planned by them. Yep. Your mom and your dad had sufficient. What if they didn't? And right. you never had that conversation right. with your parents. Right. Surprise. Surprise is right. And there's lots of people. Either you take the choice of a different quality of care than you or your mother would have wanted. Right. Or you're poning up the cash. Right. So this is really interesting point. Um, perhaps we can do a, like a, a segment on that because there's a generational difference in comfort level in talking about these things too, which we Absolutely. notice. Absolutely, right? And Try having that discussion at the dinner table, how hard will that be? Right, it can mom, be really dad. Are you financially okay in case you go into a long-term care facility? Right. Like who? That's, that's and then pass the potatoes. Like what's the next line after that? Like, what do <laughs> yeah, you do? Yeah, maybe you just don't throw it out at, over potatoes. Uh, but it is it is an interesting family dynamic that's important and relevant from a financial planning perspective, right? Because when we ask, what about your parents? Do you have dependent parents? Well, I don't know if they're going to be dependent. Well, that's a big gap. That's a big potential gap in the knowledge that could be thousands of dollars a per month. Month. That's right. And now you are going to be feeling what's a higher priority, the quality of care for mom or dad right. or my retirement? Right. Do I go to Hawaii right. or do I take that money and give it to mom and dad? Right. Do I, you know, and I've got kids. Now right. you're that sandwich generation. And do I worry about them or do I worry about my parents? Those types of things. So it's a very interesting time. Okay, let's wrap it up because we have to talk about all of those things at the upcoming seminar. On Tuesday, August 25th, 7 p.m., live online. To register, you need to go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com. We look forward to seeing you uh, at that webinar. All right, let's wrap up this show. I want to thank you for joining us for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR, and we look forward to chatting with you next week.
David Popowicz and Faisal Carmeli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popowicz and Faisal Carmeli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund, an investment industry regulatory organization of Canada. David Popowicz and Faisal Carmeli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popowicz and Faisal Carmeli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund, an investment industry regulatory organization of Canada.